I sit in the passenger seat of my father's old rusty pickup as we fly through the highway among the towering trees and boastful mountains to our new home. David bobs to a country song on the old pickup radio. And then I see it. The unassuming, quite depressing, not at all interesting sign to enter town. Welcome, it jokes, to Three River Pass. Shadows surround my dreams. I stare at the door in front of me. The room is dark and, and all I can see is the outline of the light peeking out from the frame of the bathroom door. I'm 11. Grasping my stuffed bear in my right hand, I can hear water splashing on the other side of the door. A faint, muffled sound that I can't make out. I've had this dream before. Several times. But something feels different. This time... I'm being watched. I feel a hand touch the cold skin of my shoulder. Whispers a man's voice with a deep accent. My eyes get smoky and I fall to the floor. When I wake up from my dream, I'm no longer 11 lying outside the bathroom door. I'm in my own bed five years later. Dreaming, kiddo? David is standing before me. He's standing on my shoulder. Sorry to wake you up, but it's uh, late, dude. Even for you. Didn't you say you were going to that neighborhood thing today? I take a minute to absorb my surroundings, rubbing my eyes to wake myself up more. No, no, I don't think I told you that. Maybe you heard it from someone else? Dr. Sands, I'm sure. I didn't gloat further that I had caught him lying. Uh, don't think so. Maybe? I'm pretty sure. Didn't you say... Anyway, some donuts downstairs if you're hungry. I'm, I'm so busy today, just got a lot to do. Loads to do, actually. He scratches the back of his head. You can see his face blush a little. Slowly and awkwardly, he walks out of the room, not one more time before disappearing into the hallway. I will myself out of bed and find myself in the mirror. All of my sins are exposed as I stand in my boxer shorts. But as if it was shining a little brighter than the rest, I watch the word mock me. Murderer. It had been some time since I dreamt of the last night I saw my family. I had seen the dream over and over again for the first couple of years, but why now? I dress and head down the stairs. David is working under the sink, tool belt and all. I must admit I've been a bit perplexed by him lately. Like the old David I knew has been creeping back. I mean, he's still drinking, but it's much less severely and not usually only after six. Well, it's a start. David, I ask. Yep. He doesn't look up from his work at all. I know how busy you said you were, but if you wanted to come with me to the neighborhood party, that would be cool. I could use Rad anyway. Dr. Sand should be there. He clears his throat a bit dramatically. <clears throat> well, I suppose if you need a ride, I hadn't even considered... You see, I'm just so busy. Been doing a lot of handiwork for the hospital lately. Yeah, but I guess I could take a break. Being in a new town and all is probably good to meet the locals, you know. You never know when you're going to need a cup of, yeah, sugar. I nod, wide-eyed. Yeah, definitely. David gives me a definitive smile and goes to get ready. Why I didn't feel like the coolest kid in school going to the neighborhood barbecue with my dad. I've been hard on him lately, and clearly he was fishing for an invite. 
The event is much larger than Dakota had described it. Tables upon tables have been laid out. Food was being hurled out of the university kitchen as early guests hung decorations. Half of the town is here, I tell David. He's looking around anxiously, and I can see him lift his finger as to count each person separately. Okay, yeah, maybe a tenth. It's a lot. I immediately regret the decision to have come. Local shopkeepers, teachers, administrators, students and their families all litter the circle. A couple faces are familiar, including some nurses from the hospital. I notice the outline of Dr. Sand sitting at a particularly large table at the top of a mound. She's surrounded by what appears to be a group of distinguished guests. The president of the university sits at the table, the mayor herself, and another high-profile-looking townsfolk. I think that's my banker and my baker and the guy that owns auto shop. You can hear in David's tone where my antisocial practices came from as he got anxious. David spots what he came for. What are those two guys over there? One's talking to the doc. He gestures quietly to two well-dressed men, clean-cut, clearly fit, and laughing with Dr. Sands. You think they know her? I don't think they should be so casual with a doctor like that. I'm gonna go make sure they aren't harassing her. He readies himself by checking his coat collar, and I'm pretty sure I hear him gulp. You're a handsome, intelligent man, he tells himself, giving me a nod and walking in the direction of Dr. Sands. Um, bye. I almost try to stop him in panic of being alone. Don't leave me, I want to yell. I realize I may have invited David for more selfish reasons than I had first expected. I scan the room for Dakota. She's nowhere to be found. But my eyes catch a corner of the party where Gideon stands. He's staring right at me with that angry bulldog stare of his. Now, some students I don't really know, and the twins, Raven and Ryder, stand next to him, laughing in my direction. Gideon doesn't break his gaze, giving me an antagonizing smirk instead. I stare right back. I didn't care so much that everyone at school thought I was gay now, but the fact that he seemed to be getting some sick pleasure out of it was starting to piss me off. He raised his eyebrow and blew me a kiss from his lips, laughing with the others. Oh, that's it, it's on. I push up my sleeves and march over to where they stand. I can hear the oohs from the crowd around him. I think he likes you, one of them says. Watch out, Gideon, I think he wants to dance, remarks another. They all laugh. Gideon's face has changed, however, surprised that I was stomping towards him. I watch him do his best intimidating stance, flexing his arms. I steam towards him, not noticing Dakota had made her way to me. She springs in front of me, no doubt trying to slow my temper. Hey, big guy, what you doing there? Her everyday Dakota tone was comforting and literally stops me in my tracks. I look past her and watch the group make fun of the situation. He's got a fruit fly ready, I hear. Don't worry, this one's mine. I got this. She puts her hand on my chest for an exciting moment before turning to the group of students. So mature, guys. Your bigotry is tired. Graven, writer, stick up for yourself. Your dads are gay. You want to be a part of this? Seriously? She moves closer and closer to the group as she scolds them. And you, Gideon, we grew up together. I can tell several stories about you, Mr. Wannabe Bad Boy. Don't make me go there. Maybe think about why you are so freaking homophobic, Closet Case. My temper quells and is replaced by a smile. I start to see Dakota in a light I hadn't before. She was kind of dreamy. Besides, you only wish you were gay. Dakota turns around defiantly and stomps over to me. She puts her arms around my neck and plants a long kiss directly on my lips. Oh. I wasn't expecting the sensation that followed. I was invigorated. I had been so distracted in my life that I didn't really have the opportunity to think about things like this. 
human contact was not so much a normal thing to me, but something simple like this. A kiss. I liked it. I hear the audible gas from the crowd as we make contact, and I know they're jealous as I wrap my arms around her. My joy subsides quite quickly, however. A moment into the long kiss, I can feel my eyes start to smoke. Even closed as they were, I feel Dakota twitch for a moment. It's happening again. I open my eyes to find my vision is covered in darkness as I fall to the ground. A horrible, accented laugh echoing from the darkness. The vision is quick, as my smoky eyes border a young girl, maybe five, playing with a doll on a blanket. Suddenly, fire strikes towards her and a loud bang and sizzling sound follows. I see nothing else until I come to. Dallas, Dallas, it's Dr. Sands. Can you hear me? As I open my eyes, the doctor is hovering above me. Between you and your dad, I should be able to stay in business a long time, eh? She jokes. How are you feeling? I'm, uh, I'm okay. It had gotten a bit darker, but time could not have passed too long as it felt like the whole party was now paying attention to the fainted teenager. I'm fine. Really. I promise. She gives me a look over before speaking. A good doctor would tell you to go to the hospital, perhaps. This is becoming a habit for you, yeah? If I hadn't looked over you myself, I'd maybe say to get checked up. She helped me to my feet. Scanning the party, I watch Raven and Ryder stand next to who must be their dads, the two gentlemen that were talking to the doctor before David interrupted. They looked worried. Gideon and the other goons were nowhere to be seen. David is standing nearby. Maybe we ought to head home, buddy. Yeah? We damn near called an ambulance when he came to. The party was quiet at this point. Very quiet. When I hear a sizzling sound and a high-pitched squeal before ending in a pop. Fireworks! I say to no one. It wasn't a question, but I received an answer anyway. Well, yeah, the boys are just testing them on the other side of the cafeteria building for tonight's show. It's Harvest Festival tradition around here, Dakota answers. We gotta stop them! I shout as I push past the people around me. I can feel their confused gazes, but there's no time to explain. And I'm not sure explaining would help clear up any confusion anyway. I'm fast. I've always been fast. It's why I was good at football, and it doesn't take me long to run around the side of the cafeteria. Two boys are taping fireworks together. Another is lighting a second set of tied fireworks nearby. A girl plays with her toy pony in the corner. Stop! I scream at them, but I can see the flame already making contact with the fireworks tied wicks. With all my speed, I leap forward to the little girl. The sound of the fireworks lifting off is unmistakable. I grab the child in one swift motion, and I hear her yelp as I throw us to the ground. I shield her body best I can until the second firework explodes nearby. Some of the people have followed from the other side of the kitchen, and I can hear the muffled surprise and chatter. Daisy, oh my god! A woman screams, emerging from the crowd. I look up and uncover Daisy. We're both unscathed. She jumps out of my arms and into her mother's. The blanket she sat at is completely destroyed, and a nearby bush has caught a small fire. One of the boys is rushing to put it out with his coat. Damn it, Daniel! I told you to watch your sister for ten minutes! She checks her daughter and confirms she isn't hurt. Are you okay, baby? Are you hurt? The little girl shakes her head no. You saved me, she says in a teary voice, pointing my direction. Her mother looks up at me with relief. I don't know how you knew, but thank you. Are you okay? Yes, ma'am. 
Everyone is staring at me yet again. Whether amazed or terrified, I can't tell. Dad, I'm going to go wait by the car, okay? He nods. I'll be right behind you. I turn to Dakota next. Hey, I'm uh, sorry. Thanks for having my back out there. I hurry away with my head down before she can really answer, circling my way back around the outside of the kitchen and into the main party. I slip through foliage to take a shortcut in the parking lot. Arriving on the other side, I step onto the concrete sidewalk and go to the open passenger side door of David's truck. It's locked. I sigh as the man speaks to me from behind my back. That was pretty impressive back there. Nope. His accent is unmistakable, and shivers run up my side as I realize who it is. The man from the forest. The colonel. Don't expect these types of folks to give you proper thanks, though, I reckon. You say the little girl, but all they are going to have is questions and don't think you'll be able to answer all of them. I'm glad you saved them myself. Those were my fireworks those scoundrels stole, and I'd hate to see them being the tools of harm. What do you want? I ask, unapologetically. He looks perplexed by my directness. Does he know I saw him in the forest that day? I decide I don't care. Let's keep it cute now. I didn't mean to surprise you, but you and your father being new and all. Well, naturally, the talk of the town. Lies, I assume. Nice meeting you. I uh, trying to give him the cold shoulder. He gives me a hard look and smiles. It's clear I'm bothering you, so I'll take my leave. Do watch out for your new friends, yes? Not all is as it seems. He continues past me down the sidewalk. David enters the sidewalk from the other direction almost immediately. Who was that? Despite the weirdness of the day, he looked in high spirits. Just another friendly townsperson of Weirdville. How's the doctor? She still single? David clears his throat at the question. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, uh, uh, false alarm. Did you, uh, want to talk about what happened? Nope. Fair enough. Me neither. But, uh, I'm proud of you. From there, we drove home in complete silence. But my head is racking. While I didn't trust him, the colonel seemed quite concerned with warning me about my new friends. Did he mean Dakota? Gideon? The strange attendance at the party crossed my mind. It felt more like a family reunion than a neighborhood barbecue. Like everybody already knew each other. But that could be a product of this being such a small town. I'm the weird one who faints lately when someone touches me, saves a girl because I knew beforehand she was going to be in danger, and sees words on people's bodies. I must have looked insane. Still, I knew what I had to do. And I had to do it tonight. I'd saved a little girl. I should be excited, happy, proud. But all I had at this moment was questions. The first being, had I seen the future? I pushed it to the back of my mind. I had a mission to undertake. I only have to wait a half hour for David to head to his room once we got home. I throw on a dark hoodie and contemplate climbing out my window to avoid the very loud creeping staircase steps, but decide against the dramatic exit. I had no real curfew, nor did David pry about my whereabouts when he was sober. I liked that about him. Instead, I decided to take my chances getting down the steps and out the door without notice or question. When I hear David snores, I'm sure the coast is clear to sneak outside of my bike. As I speed through the tree-covered path of Three River Pass, 
I'll make it back to the gathering right as fireworks start to go off. The perfect time to get in with my presence unknown. Eyes would be to the sky, and the screeching of the fireworks should cover many noise I made. I'm able to find an opening into the high shrubbery wide enough to have my bike inside. I leave it there as I slowly move towards the park. At first, I can't see nor hear too much due to the fireworks. Only some oohs and ahs of the crowd mixed with some low chatter. Once I'm able to position myself behind the crowd of onlookers, I start to pick up some conversations. Plenty of mentions of the boy who saved Daisy with some crazy luck. I was surprised and pleased to hear most of the mentions of me are praised. One woman had problems with the rabble-rousing teenagers in this town, and in her eyes, saving a little girl's life did not make up for the fact that I neighbor started a fight. As I listened to the woman decide I'm a menace to society, I'm able to pick up the conversation of two older gentlemen nearby. The first man, I'm certain, works for the university. The second, I can't place. The topless barbarian was here today, dressed like some southern plantation owner, as usual. They sent him over to discuss that ghost hunter woman. They were talking about the colonel? And no doubt about Tina Matthews. Well, I can understand why. I'm quite perplexed why we invited her here. It's like asking for trouble. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm likely to agree with Rosewood. The second seemed to care more who heard him, and his voice was much more muffled compared to his companion. Well, between you and me, the head counselor has been taking advice from the lady doctor far too much for my taste. I heard it was her idea. She thinks we would attract more attention if we kept them from coming. The second man shakes his head at the assessment. Ever since that daughter of hers came up as a first degree, she's been big-headed. He doesn't notice Dr. Sands creep up behind him. Yes, we wouldn't want my head getting so big it exploded. The doctor took a sip of the drink she carried with her. Or would we? The two men ignore her question. Oh, Councilor Member Sands, I didn't see you there. She tilts her head to him. No need to know where I am, Albert. Speak freely. They exchange looks. Actually, we were just going. The second man responds. The doctor's eyes follow them sternly as they slither away. And for a moment, her gaze turns my direction, straight into the bushes. Could she see me? I felt I was very well hidden, but in the moment, my heart stops. Faithful Dakota, as if on cue, comes to take her mother's attention before I can decide to run. Mom, head counselor said you were looking for me? The doctor's gaze shoots to Dakota. Yes, dear. We were talking. I need to ask you to do something I know you aren't going to like very much. Dakota frowns. What? Dallas? I don't know anything about what's going on there. I told you that. No, not Dallas. She looked around a moment, checking to see if anyone was watching. No one. Well, almost no one. Quentin Kane was here earlier, uninvited. He's upset about Tina Matthews being here. We just want to keep an eye on him. Oh, Mom, not again. Dakota whines. Sebastian won't mind. He's bound to you. Mom, he's not a slave. He's my friend. And he's really moody. Sebastian? Her friend? I couldn't help but be a little jealous. Did, did Dakota have another close male friend I didn't even know about? It would mean a lot to the council, and it will only help your reputation. I'm trying to protect our people, Dakota. Her daughter gave her a defiant eye before giving in. Okay, I'll ask him. When I see him, he stays busy most days. The doctor gave her daughter a bit of a cocked eye. Dakota, I saw him scrounging around the food earlier. I know he's here. Tell him to be careful. The fireflies have reported something strange stalking the forest. Now I must see some people before the night ends. 
to let her face speak the rest and plants a kiss on her daughter's head before walking towards the party. She's gone now. You can come out. I'm surprised by the words and look around a moment. Did they both know I was there the whole time? I think about going out. Maybe she just thinks someone is here? I'm about to move out of my hiding spaces when I see an orange tabby cat appear from the opposite side of the shrubbery. Dakota doesn't seem surprised and she bends over to the small feline. I'm guessing you heard all of that. What do you think? Do you mind? The cat rubs its face against hers and does a little turn. Thanks, Sebastian. You know what to do. The cat seems to know exactly what she's saying and runs off back into the shrubs. I double take at the sack. Dakota had just given orders to a cat. Well, there may have been more to see. I don't stick around any longer. I'm starting to question my own sight and reasoning. It's time to head home. As I lay in bed, I ponder out the wonderings of the past couple of months. Dakota could be some secret cat whisperer, but that alone did not explain the other strange happenings in town. Getting strange body art instead of the usual words I see on people's skin. The colonel speaking to the hood figure in the woods. The strange reality star that seems to be upset the townsfolk. Colonel's words after reappearing out of nowhere had me questioning my relationships with these people. I question whether the doctor really likes my dad at all or if she has some other agenda. That night, my dream returns. I'm 11 years old, clasping my teddy bear. I open the door this time, the water splashing, her head under the water, her muted screams. As I wake, my heart races and butterflies fill my stomach with dread. I had deduced over the years that my ability to read people's sins may be supernatural or God-given or, or curse, but these visions were new and it felt unlikely that it wasn't somehow all related. I just had to figure out what was going on before somebody ended up dead. I'm not sure it was all the thoughts going through my head or my exhaustion from not being able to fall asleep until four in the morning, but things weren't letting up. The next night, my childhood dream repeats itself again, as it had several times over the years. I'm standing in front of the bathroom door, illuminated with light. A beautiful girl with wings stands in the corner. She's blonde, likely no older than an average high schooler, and she's staring at me. She makes a perplexed face when she notices me staring back. Can you see me? She asks. I turn around to check if anyone else is there she could be talking to. When I turn back, she's gone. I take a step to go look for her, but the inevitable hand on my shoulder comes. You don't at all, boy. The voice tells me, and that's where the dream ends. I've been having this same dream for years, and yeah, I've had different variations, but never like this. I can't help but think I've seen the girl with the wings before. She looks so familiar. The next morning, I wake up early and dreary. Too much going on for a good night's sleep. I contemplate going back to David, telling him everything, but decide against it when I remember what happened when I try to explain the visions. I don't know how to feel about Dakota either. On one hand, we kissed. I liked it. On their hand, she's talking to cats and maybe part of some crazy cult or a creepy neighborhood watch. I avoid David and ride my bike to school. Something I do most days anyway, taking my route through the forest and across the old overgrown bridge. I stop very quickly for a look at the spot where I first saw the colonel. I need answers. So I skip the first period of school and head to the local library instead. It's mostly empty this Monday morning, so I make my way to one of the computers in the back. I take some time trying to figure out how to access the library's archives. They do it on TV all the time, so I figure it's a good place to start. 
not really sure what I'm doing, but I focus on local newspaper articles. I scroll for almost an hour without any interesting articles or red flags. In fact, the only suspicious thing about the archive is that there's nothing suspicious in the archive. The people here are crazy. How has no one ever been murdered here or something? I say out loud, not realizing a woman has taken up a seat on the other end of the row of computers. Not even one. I'm sure of it. I've been looking at these articles for days. She was a bigger woman, her hair tied above her head with a pencil in it. She was animated, with rosy cheeks and a wide but exhausted smile. She rolls over to me, almost comically, with her chair. Sorry, didn't mean to bother you. Figured we had something in common, you yelling about murder and all. Um, to- She stopped. Travis. She looks unsure, but puts her hand out anyway for me to shake. Travis, nice to meet you. I take her hand, she continues. Yeah, Travis, it's a bisexual name. I mean, double gender, trans... Unisex? I correct her. She shakes her head fervently. Unisex? On the first date? I hardly know you. She punches me in the arm like we've been friends for years. She laughs to herself. Wait, how old are you exactly? Oh god, that was inappropriate. You're like 15, aren't you? Aren't you supposed to be in school? 18. I lie. Not just to make her feel better, but to not rouse suspicion of my class skipping. Uh, just graduated. I, I skipped a grade. She nods. Okay, still not okay, but not illegal. She nervously laughs. I give her a wide-eyed smile as I'm not really sure what to say to her. If you're looking for dirt or murders in Star's Rest, you will be hard-cracked to find it. It's my job and I can't find anything. It's bizarre. It's suspicious. I almost laugh at the emotion she puts in the last word. But other places? Other places don't hide their secrets as much as they do. Did you know that at least five murders happen here every five years? Look at this. They all happen within the same couple of months or so. They're nothing for four, four and a half years. Oh, and this. This place is an interesting history. It used to be a haven. A sanctuary, if you will, for anyone who didn't belong anywhere else. Refugees, people running from religious persecution, slaves, even some natives that were forced from their homes were said to make the town their home. Very little local history was told in my history class, but our teacher did mention that this area was indeed a sanctuary city some time ago. A librarian walks past, glancing at us only for a moment, but Travis starts to act suspicious for seemingly no other reason. What? Loitering? No loitering? What do you think this is? A library? Oh wait, it is a library. She says in a loud voice so the librarian can hear her. She had backed away from me as soon as she realized someone was walking past. And despite Travis verbally targeting her, the librarian decided to keep walking. Once the librarian was out of view, Travis rolls back over to me. This time, getting closer to my face. Hey kid, I gotta go. Be careful up in here. Us detective types have to stick together. She advised in a hushed voice. She starts to hurriedly get her stuff together. Comically, frantic, she puts a headband on followed by an arm man. They were Jinkies branded. She must have been one of the workers from the show. Wait a minute, you're from Jinkies? I have something you might be interested in. She looks at her armband, then back to me. Not here, I'm getting the idea that this place is tapped. She whispers, looking around. What, the, the librarian? They just walked by, that's it. Nope, no. Too suspicious. Pretty sure she looked right at you. I think I heard her whisper something. Did you hear her whisper? Um, no, no. She gets up from her chair. Let's talk and walk. I need to get back to the base camp. I get up to follow stuff in my notebag into my bag quickly. Uh, yeah, I needed to go that way too. I'm late for class. 
She stopped dead and looked at me strangely. Thought you said you just graduated. Oops, I'm caught. Uh, but now, now that I'm, I'm graduated, I'm a teacher now. A student teacher. She looks me up and down. A little young, aren't you? I had to think fast. Uh, no, actually, you should come be a speaker for the class. I bet they would love to hear more about the show. What was your name again? Uh, Travis? I let it linger. Shaw. She shushes me. She stumbles through the library, somehow hitting every wall or table with one of her enormous bags on the way out. I offer to help, but she doesn't have it. As she bustles out to the street, she drops a piece of paper on the ground. I instinctively go to pick it up to hand it back to her, when I realize she hasn't noticed she dropped anything at all. I decided to pocket the piece of paper for some snooping once we had parted. I quickly unlocked my bike and used it to catch up with her power rocket. I went to the Harvest Festival, ran by the town yesterday. Something weird is going on. Everyone at the party seems connected to the university, and they all hate the other side of town. And I saw this girl talking to a cat. Travis turns around and stops to give me a stare. Like, really talking to him. Like the cat understood her. Did the cat respond? Well, no. Well, no. Not verbally, I admitted. She keeps walking. It's a small town, kid. The town is the university. That's not weird. And of course they hate the town across the river. Natural rivals. And I talk to my cat all the time. Wait! I have shout, and it has the desired effect. She stops to turn towards me. I can see the future. Or, I think I can. I see stuff. And sometimes it happens. I save the little girl, and I can read, well, words on people. I call them sins. I didn't plan the words, but it was getting harder and harder to keep them in. I needed someone to know, and, and even just so they could tell me I'm crazy. We walk in silence for a couple of seconds, and it's not long before we reach the stone walls of the university. Give me a pencil, give me a pen, give me something to write with. She snaps her hand to assist at me quickly. I dig into my backpack for a pen, hastily handing her the uncapped writing utensil. What's your number, kid? I didn't have a cell phone, something my classmates made fun of me for. David had offered several times, but I knew we couldn't afford it, so I had convinced him I had no interest. A lie. I give Travis my home phone instead, which she starts to write on her hand. Uh, um, I have paper, I tell her. No time. I have to get back to work. We stood at the bottom of the steps now, and Travis's gaze hardens as we are passed by none other than Tina Matthews. Tina, what are you doing here today? We aren't even filming. She asked the intimidating statue of a woman. Tina looks unamused. Look, Toad, I'm not happy about it either. They have me doing interviews with teenagers. Interviews with teenagers don't make you a star. Ask Steve Harvey. What are you doing here? It wasn't a question. Pretending to be me again, no doubt. I'm just talking to a fan of the show, she tells Tina, who finally notices me. Her eyes are covered by sunglasses despite the overcast weather. She drops them for just a moment to get a better look at me. Look, kid, I'm sorry, I'm hungover. I'm not giving out autographs right now. She lifts her glasses back up and puts her hand on Travis's shoulder as she walks up the steps. Give him one of my bobblehead toys or something. Ha ha, yes ma'am. Travis replies with a half-defeated smile as the woman trots away. Travis huddles near me to whisper. I'll call you when I can. She tells me before walk running away. Suddenly, she turns and scoots back to me, pulling something from her bag. She hands me a white box. Inside is the bobblehead figure of Tina Matthews holding a spyglass in one hand. Across the box, it says, Jinkies. Thanks for watching the show. I had never seen it, but I didn't see the point in telling her as she darted off again. It looks like I missed class.
I wait outside my classroom door for it to end, and afterwards I walk to the lunchroom with Dakota. A large open hall surrounds a second-story balcony overlooking the room of tables. Several students ignore the tables and instead congregate in the alcoves near snack machines and their own personal watering holes. Others stay in the second-story hallways or stables despite having to move if someone dares walk through. A stage is set up for the Chinkies crew on the main floor, and the cafeteria crowds are a bit quieter than usual to hear the student faculty interviews going on. Dakota takes a seat next to where the twins are having lunch as per usual. Dakota and the twins weren't the closest of friends, but their family seemed to have some sort of friendship, and they ran in the same circle as Gideon, who mandated Dakota be allowed to sit with him. Ryder is at the table and Raven is on the stage with Tina Matthews. I sit next to Dakota quietly and listen half-heartedly to the interview, scanning the room for Gideon. I don't find him. We were avoiding each other lately and Gideon didn't make it to lunch often these days, usually finding a quiet place to smoke instead. My attention spikes as I hear Raven ask Tina Matthews' latest question. Well, I did see a crazy thing happen at the Harvest Festival, she tells Tina. I zero in on her face. She doesn't notice. Yeah, this little girl was totally going to get hit by fireworks and somehow my friend knew it even though he couldn't possibly see her on the other side of the building. He just got up, ran across the ground and saved her. I was panicked. I considered trying to leave the room but instead just slump in my chair hoping it will make me invisible. Dakota and Ryder are looking at me for a reaction. Tina is very interested in Raver's new information. That's quite fantastic, isn't it folks? And does your friend go to this school by any chance? No, Raven. Don't tell her. Yeah, he's right over there. She points at me and the whole cafeteria looks. I can feel my face turn red. Well, come on up, hero. Everyone give him a round of applause. The entire gym starts clapping. I'm still. This is the exact opposite of what I've wanted out of my new life. Tension. I'm not a hero. I'm probably a murderer. Looks like he's shy, everybody. Can we do better than that? Somebody starts to cheer my name and Tina Matthews joins in. Dakota is tugging my arm. Go on up, Dallas. In time, the entire gym is chanting my name in unison. When I don't move, I see Tina motion to some stagehands. They come over and help me up, motioning me towards the stage. I reluctantly comply. What a nasty trick. It feels like it takes ages to get to the stage. Raven is being shuffled off and it seems she now understands I'm unhappy with her as she mounts an apology to me as, as we pass each other on the tiny staircase. Tina takes my hand and shakes it. Off mic, she welcomes me in a manner that says she doesn't remember meeting me from just the evening before. She motions me to the chair and raises the mic to her mouth. Settle down now. She addresses the crowd first and the camera next. We are here live from Stars Rest Academy with local high school hero, Alex. I don't correct her. Clearly you are very popular judging by that applause you just got. She then shoves the mic near my mouth. Clearly. I tell her, more surprised than in agreement. Well, it's so nice to meet a long time watcher and fan, and in your case, also a hero. I've actually never seen- I try to talk, but I'm cut off. Tell us how you saved that little girl's life from those burning, lethal fireworks. Not sure what to say. Do I tell the truth? Tons of people saw what happened, they wouldn't know if I was lying. Um, well, I heard these guys say they were going to take fireworks together. And then I heard the girl scream, so I went and I, I helped her, I guess. I, like anyone would have. I can hear the crowd mumble to themselves. The story must have already gotten around, and my version was not as exciting as the one they had heard. So modest, and the crowd's not buying it, kiddo. I have a feeling that it's not the whole story. In fact, I heard you ran all the way around a building. How did you hear her that far and no one else did? 
Again, the mic is in my face. Tina's eyes are almost bulging, like her own life depends on my answer. Uh... I'm sure I'm visibly sweating at this point and my palms are itching. I'm saved by darkness, however, as suddenly the room goes black. At first, I think I've passed out again. But then I hear the screams and chatter of the crowd. I realize the power's gone out. The only light in the room is coming from a small skylight window where some overcast weather peeks into the otherwise windowless hall. Fucking A, I hear Tina say to herself as she attempts her way around the dark. Several flashlights are coming on from the crew and students are using their phone flashlights for light. I hear the sound of a generator kick in and the lights come back on. I'm relieved until I hear a blood-curdling scream that will likely stick with me to my old age, followed by another, after another. The cafeteria is in an uproar. Some students are running for the exits. Others stand screaming or crying. I scan the room for the source of the distress and I'm regretful that I find it. At the far end of the hall, completely opposite the stage, is the body of a teenage boy. His body has been placed halfway up the wall like an X. His bike helmet's still on his head. His shirt has been ripped off. Markings cover his chest, similar to the marks I've seen on Gideon. Next to him, words are written in blood. The greater the sacrifice. The words drip. As the room empties, I consider leaving with the others, but I can't help but walk towards the sprawled body. The markings are still clear, but they don't radiate like Gideon's, or others do. It's how I'm convinced he's dead, like the lights have been turned off. At first, I can't make out his face all bloodied up as it is, but as I get closer, I recognize him. Someone has murdered Josh Harper, the bike shop owner's son. Hey guys, Michael North here. Thank you for listening to the episode. Please, please, please show me your support by leaving a comment on Apple Podcasts or subscribing to the pod. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter where you can track my other projects and my LGBTQ superhero novel coming out March of 2021. That's at Michael North with a one instead of an L in Michael. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-1-N-O-R-T-H. Bye.